Dog Capital is recorded on Ngunnawal country, and we pay our respects to Ngunnawal elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. And we're at a moment where sort of all, all contradictions are made. Right? The byproduct of the crisis of contemporary capitalism. This week in class politics. Classic fucking boomer. Old new left. Maintaining the relations of neoliberalism. Oh! Capital. No! Capital. No! Capital. No! 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 Oh, do you do international but we're from Canberra? So like yeah. Mm. So, Jacob, hey, okay. All right, man. I'm back. I'm You're back, back. In a big way. Jacob is back, and that's really exciting for Dog Capital um, because Jacob's been rather busy mm. with his, um, you know, work, study, yeah. training, life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but while you've been away, we, we had some fun. I managed to get a couple of things out. Yeah. Thanks for holding the fort, mate. Yeah, no, no. It was, it was a, good. Oh, no, really thank good. you. Yeah. I, um, I hopefully, um, did you actually have any time to actually listen? To I've like not the whole thing, unfortunately. Oh, right. But I've, I've, I went and I checked the audio and it oh, okay. sounded good. You know, yeah. like so. It was, yeah. It was All right. Awesome. As long as you were happy yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. really a bit of the blind man, you know, doing a blind man thing. But we, all, we have to learn sometime. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's how to, how to learn. Yeah. How to learn. Yeah. Some people, you know, just throw someone in the in the deep end of yeah. the sea and yeah. see if they swim. Yeah. But, but dear listener, I've been on a hiatus. Um, I'm back for the time being. Yeah, I have um, a lot of like uni and work and family stuff going on. I'll be here for a couple of episodes and then I'll be back on placement in a few weeks time. So I think you'll get another one out of me at least before that. Um, but fear not, the show's not going anywhere. Ben's holding the fort. Um, and yeah, so nice to be back. Um, yeah, no, good. And look, we do have a few things going on uh, after the federal election, which mm. we'll, um, we've got some people lined up that we want to talk to. Uh, but that's a bit of a secret. But we'll tell you about that more later mm. in uh, this show. We're having a bit of fun at the moment, just recording. Um, oh, on the one hand, it's our election special. Mm. But on the other hand, it's um, you know basically a little vent here for us to get going with. So Trotsky, yeah, okay. Jacob. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we were just chatting about this because I've been um, teaching um, Russian Revolution with some seniors, um, mostly focused on 1905, obviously, Trotsky being the only um, sort of Bolshevik who has the guts to, to, to come back to Russia and, you know, um, the take part in the, yeah, in the St. Petersburg Soviet. So, yeah, we were talking about Trotsky. So, yeah. I, I do find it, like, I, what I find really interesting is it's the historical Leon Trotsky or what was his name? Uh, Burns, Brett, was Lev Bronstein. Lev Bronstein. And particularly his the historical Leon Trotsky and his activism and obviously um, dedication to mm. trying to bring about uh, incredible ref- change. Mm. Uh, then his theoretical writings. And then there's the, the problematic stuff around, I guess, the descendants of his ideas, the people mm. who claim to be his followers, as well as obviously his enemies. And... What I find really disappointing, it's kind of like, for me, it's like a Britney Spears thing. It's like, can you just leave Trotsky alone? Like, it's it's 2023. We have supposedly enlightened left-wingers out there mm. that I've known in the Labor movement, in the Labor Party, uh, who love throwing the, the term trot yeah. at, at people as a denigrating insult. Yeah. Partly because on the one hand, it seems to symbolise that someone who could possibly have, you know, I guess a more radical set of politics is basically stupid or crazy Mm. Uh, or I think that's really what they're getting at. Stupid, crazy, or also the other bit, it's become a synonymous term with um, being mean and and not behaving nicely towards each other. Yeah, being disruptive in meetings. Yeah, or or sectarianism, which is a great term in in the left, which is all about um, people putting the positions of their organisation ahead of actually engaging with people who have a right. different idea. It's like my, our position 
is correct, mm. we're not going to concede our our line, our, yeah. our position to others. And we know, like, yeah, that's just not good behaviour. I think we just should just call shit behaviour, well, bad behaviour as bad behaviour. Sure. And I think we need to save Trotsky. I, I think, right. well, actually, not just save. I think we just got to stop denigrating each other mm. with the term trot. Uh, I think it's 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 baffling to me. Um, and I'll also t- I'll tell you in a second about why this is not necessarily that important. But um, like because I've read you know a lot of Marx and Engels, I suppose, and uh, a bit of the the classical Marxists, otherwise the Russian Marxists, Lenin and Trotsky, like the, it partly out just out of laziness and maybe also out of um, just not having the time. Like that's what I've you know engaged with mostly. I have not engaged with a lot of the um, sort of later mid mid century um sectarianism of the marxist left um mm. so it's it's baffling to me because i find trotsky to be obviously just as useful um theoretically and as a as a historian and whatever um and interesting as as a political a historical political figure you know as lenin or you know marx and engels or you know whatever so um the sectarian is quite alien to me um but the other interesting thing and the reason i think it's that's that history itself doesn't shake out to matter that much in the use of the term trot or mm. whatever is that like it's really not being used by um stalinists or marxist leninists you don't tend to see those people uh, on social media or even mm. in the current kind of left ecosystem um more broadly uh you throwing around the term trot as an insult like i just don't tend to see it maybe it's out there but not not as mm. far as i can see what you really see it is um, kind of the right wing of the labor movement um, and the, uh, you know, factional professions aside, um, like the rightists or the reformists in, in the labor movement, in the labor parties um, in the UK and in Australia love to use the word trot. Yeah. So what what is the actual, um, like, specter that they're conjuring with this word? Like, like you said, like, obviously there's a kind of implication of uncivility or madness or like um unreasonableness or something mm. um but they're not really they're not making any their referent is not his trotsky yeah. himself or even his immediate kind of followers or his theoretical perspectives or his view of history of the russian revolution anything like that they're conjuring uh probably a generation later the struggles that happened in the 50s and 60s and 70s of Trotsky's followers? Is that fair to say? Yeah, or? yeah, like, yeah there's an historical basis for it. Mm. And I think in an Australian context, uh, the the followers of, of Trotsky, and not that actually, like, not, not that Trotsky was ever running around saying, oh, you know, you're my follower and follow me and blah, blah. Like, mm. it wasn't cult of personality yeah. stuff. He he was involved in setting up a, a fourth international, if you like, a, well, a bit mad, really, in, in many ways, because... Uh, it was a re- reflection of the defeat of the Russian Revolution and the the creation of state capitalism in the Soviet Union, uh, top down um, state competing on the world market, and you know an oligarchy, a dictatorship, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so, as a reaction to that, people who who um, thought Trotsky had good ideas and he was a very key pivotal person during the Russian Revolution and the Civil War. Uh, they created their own organisations in Europe and there was an influence in Australia. There were, were Trotskyist organisations. Yeah. There were people who were kicked out of the Australian Communist Party 
very early on in the early 20s because they deviated uh, from <laughs> the, um, yeah. I guess, the lines that, you know, Joseph Stalin was giving about, Shocking, you know, yeah. how they should theoretically approach the sure. Labor Party and the like. We get to the, the Second World War, and what's interesting is that in the first part of the Second World War, the Communist Party was um, actively uh, against yeah. uh, Australia's involvement yeah. in the Second World War, <laughs> more, more because of its allegiance to a foreign power, i.e. Yeah. Russia, right? Then when Russia itself gets uh, attacked, they flip, yeah? Yeah. And we then see this sort of interesting period of, I guess, left nationalism that's really big in Australia. And yes, there was a threat from the Japanese. Um, it's not, you know, they bombed Darwin over 100 times. There's all sorts of, you know, sure. pretty bad stuff. But what we get is the Trotskyists were interesting in the, in the Second World War, both in the US and Australia, because they said, hey, hang on. Um, yeah, we get it. But really, this is all about defending imperialism. Um, yes, we can talk about like you know defending ourselves against the Japanese invasion, but really, like we're just lining ourselves up pretty ahead of their time. We're lining ourselves up with imperial powers, and and, not, and because of that that view they had, they also organised in in workplaces. There were um, notable Trotskyists in the fifty forties and fifties who organised around the I guess the privations of what the Second World War did. Um, there was, you know, they banged the drum of nationalism and they really worked workers incredibly hard, long hours, all the rest of it for the war effort and the like, and standards of livings dropped. And it wasn't a very easy time for working people in the in the Second World War and immediately afterwards, both in the UK and US and elsewhere. And there were Trotskyists that were involved in that. Now, both Labour, you know, party people mm. and the Communist Party hated these revolutionary groups because of their what they were doing, and they had had, had, the, the they had, had some front. success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so sure. that it was not just an existential yeah. threat. It was actually, there was a real threat being yeah. posed by, um, you know, if you like, Trotsky's group. Sure. Well, uh, let's just call them revolutionary yeah. groups. I, I will just say, like, uh, we don't want to present the, this perspective as well as being, like, ideology-free or, yeah. like, a kind of objective view. Like, yeah, I'd say your view is, like, a Euro-communist kind of, Perspective or something along along those lines. Yeah, well, or? I'm, I'm, I'm technically, I, I mean, I would be called. A, 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 I would have been a, the groups I used to be, run, um, be involved in and play with were were, were neo Trotskyist groups. Would right. be the, you know, be the technical term. Okay. But, but the reality is, like these are just revolution. We're revolutionary groups. Yeah. And it really comes down to Marxist your theoretical writers, view and, of the yeah. the status of the Soviet Union. Yeah. And um, a question of whether socialism in one state you know that theory is um only a kind of retreat of the revolution or a capitulation to the the bourgeois form of the state or something like that yeah yeah um and that's really the crux of of where this kind of yeah uh, partly it's it's that and it's partly uh, and i I disagreement about what what uh what the soviet union represented after after 28 when, when the first, when, when Stalin literally gets rid of the left in, mm. in uh, like, no, it's not just, you know, oh, can you please leave? He murdered yeah, thousands of people, yeah, like, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, but what, what we see, I think, played out in the years to come after that is that question of, well, what is the role of the state and mm. capitalism? And there were later people who were admirers of readings of Trotsky. And there were, I think, Tony Cliff, who was a uh, big theory guy for what was a very successful far-left group in the UK, the Socialist Workers' Party, he, in the very, very early on, in the mid-50s, came up with this idea, along with some others, um, dissidents, who quite early on had said, hold on, Russia isn't just some sort of, you know, weird, deformed thing that we can just go and reform. 
it's actually capitalism and it, it's organised around a state. And that was a pivotal break. That mm. was a, an important break. I think it's a really good contribution to uh, history. It is, it's interesting. They've been vindicated now because like anyone with half a brain who looks at China today, there's no way you could, couldn't but agree that what we're seeing in China has been brought about because they had a thing, basically state capitalism, you know? Yeah. They used the state, they nationalised, they competed on mm. the world stage, they, they got the production, they got the surpluses, they were competing. Then they quite radically at times, and we know today, they've actually liberalised their mm-hmm. economy, yeah. but still a lot of those things are actually controlled yeah. by the state, still yeah. controlled by an oligarchy. It's the penultimate, it's the absolute example of what state capitalism is. I suppose is, you know? what's really interesting to me about that is that um, the... Theory of permanent revolution. I'm specifically thinking about the aspect of it that says that um, once you have successful revolution in one country, that neighbouring bourgeois armies will come to uh, act as a counter-revolutionary force, opening up this kind of hole in their home countries that will allow kind of um, proletariat struggle to occur um, in a a vacuum of repression. Um, That that theory, I think that case of China kind of shows that it's it doesn't only apply to a dictatorship of the proletariat type situation like um, so in the case of China yeah like I'd agree we're not looking at a um, yeah. sort of um, rule of all over themselves we're looking yeah. at still like a kind of small small maybe not as small as in the case of the Soviet Union and it's more distributed and it's more dispersed uh, among levels of like medium and small government but still a some kind of you know centralized approach to the state, uh, but that doesn't seem to be the, the 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 thing that threatens the surrounding bourgeois states. Like China is currently under like uh, extreme kind of belligerent threat from global hegemon and its you know yeah. regional allies like Australia. So. Um, that's just an interesting uh, like yeah, observation, yeah. I think. But but that's also like and con- concurrently at the same time, I think it's that classic thing that China is also a threat to its neighbours, as has been brought out. Uh, in terms of you know the Chinese ruling class are no friends of uh, their neighbours in any sort of serious way. I think it's the you know I, I don't know I guess we probably mm. should actually have you know someone in and knows more about sure. you know China stuff. But like the the Chinese ruling class, uh, you know, has used if you like, um, the, the rhetoric that Stalin was really able to do. When, when Stalin um, gets in around 25, uh, 25 to 27, the, the writing orders that they gave that Stalin bears some responsibility to how China ended up the way it is, mm. uh, the key thing was was that um, Stalin argued for a position that uh, the Chinese Communist Party should align itself to the nationalists. There was a, mm. a workers-based Communist Party that was very strong in places like Shanghai and and other industrialising um, places in China in the early 20th century. We see the what Stalin argued for in terms of an alliance with the nationalists was a complete disaster. The nationalists turned around, but you know, betrayed, carried out, um, well, you can only just, uh, crimes, war crimes mm. with what we'd call it, mm. going into neighbourhoods. And if you're uh, one of these unfortunate Chinese leftists that there was a trend of wearing red scarves, bad dye, you had a red marker on your neck, yeah, well, they'd, you'd be taken out on the street and right. executed, right? right? The, the Chinese Communist Party's reaction to that incredible repression went to the hills. And <laughs> mm. that's how we see the development of this very strange, but like nationalist viewpoint of the Mao Zedong sort of peasants in the, you know, in the, the countryside okay. to go yeah. and take over. Yeah. I think I'd say there's more to it, a little bit more to it, oh, because yeah. you also have the, like the, 
the century of national humiliation is oh, yeah, Chinese course goes back course. a lot further, yeah, right? yeah, and yeah. it's about yeah. So, but that's that's part of it. But of I, the I think that's well. I don't know. Look, yeah. I'm, that's yeah. that's a little bit off. Well, yeah, so let's go back to Trotsky, right? Well, let's go yeah. back to Trotsky yeah. and Trotsky. Like, and I think that point uh, results and prospects. Um, it's a great um, uh, contribution to mm. a debate about what is capitalism. And it's basically he writes that after uh, the, having experienced what had happened during the 1905 to six um, revolution in Russia. And one of his key points is that basically capitalism is interconnected. That you can have countries that aren't, you know, like Russia, um, really crazy developed, and that this idea that because it's integrated into an, an international economy, that you can have uprisings and revolutions in um, places that aren't, as in, you know, don't have as many workers, that has a reverberations elsewhere. Now, yeah. I, I think in terms of an historical point, I think they are dead right, and it's yeah. interesting that. Lenin, who became you know the key leader of, of Russia later on with the uh, the revolution and the civil war, it comes quite independently to, to agreeing to Trotsky. Prior to that, he thought Trotsky was a bit crazy with his viewpoint. Yeah. yeah? Um, this is my take on it personally. Sure. So what you, the, the, you that a really interesting thing I think now is if like if you said that today, that oh the world like globalization <laughs> means that you can have countries that yeah there's a peasantry but you know some of the biggest factories right now today in the uneven world. combined development yeah, yeah. Uh, in India yeah. they're in Indonesia they, they're not in Australia yeah. right and I think his writings have been poured out in terms of that so you know not yeah. just about absolutely yeah. uh, a very interesting sort of take on the world we live yeah. today I, I think I think the point of the, the frustration about this, this you know the, the yarn about Trotsky why well, is incredibly interesting and mm. people left us should go out and read about the historical Trotsky as well as mm. well as his theories but I think you've got to, you know, combine the two. Mm. Um, and I think people should really just leave him alone, yeah. really, because, yeah. like, he's, he made some very valid points and, and obviously was someone who wanted a, a better world. I think laborists, uh, I think people um, people who consider themselves left-wing should stop calling people a freaking trot every time someone behaves mm. um, or they perceive as behaving mm. in a way that they don't agree with or rude. Mm. Um it's an empty term of abuse, and it uh, also forecloses real engagement with the ideas of Trotsky, which are, yeah. as we've I think established, like very useful. Now, having us. said that, yeah. Stalin is a completely, <laughs> completely yeah. I'm calling someone a Stalinist. I think is actually oh, I would totally a completely if I, like, legitimate well, viewpoint. We, <laughs> look, I'll say, uh, yeah. contrary to that, that if we ever find it necessary to engage in a policy of expropriation. Mm. Bank robberies, train heists, things like that. Yep. We could look to Stalin. Oh, as yeah, we a, could. Yeah. yeah, the early, I think he probably, early yeah, historical yeah. Stalin. Yeah. Comrade so-so, he probably have something to, <laughs> something to tell us. But we're not engaged in that no, uh, at no. the moment. So, no. no. Um, but, yeah, that's that's really good. Well, at some point, maybe we'll get to ex- extend this conversation to talk a little bit about Absolutely. The, um, also the more recent history of um, the relationship between um, Trotskyism, the Fourth International, and the neoconservative movement. But... We simply don't have the time for that nah, today. We don't. We don't. Yeah, just, so. just you know, if someone's being mean, don't call them a trot. Yeah, just say yeah. they're Come being up with mean. Better. Do like, better. You know, yeah. if someone's being sectarian. Uh, mm. Yeah, call them out for being mean or sectarian. So is it okay to call someone a trot if they are, uh, you know, overbearingly professing the ideas of Trotsky? That then well, it's okay. Or I, I think. I, I is think the problem it's, that it's an inaccurate yeah. descriptor, or is it that it's you know? Yeah, I think the last point I wanted to make is mm. it, that there are very there are very very tiny organisations who uh, still claim to be followers of the political positions of what was called the Fourth International. Mm. Um, those people, like personally, I I don't think their views are. Uh, 
um, very helpful. I think they've created the ideas of, of that um, individual as almost like a, a text, a religious text yeah. to follow. Uh, they are very problematic and they, you know, yeah, they behave badly, but they're irrelevant. And mm. I think the point that there's, they don't pose any real threat at all other than basically they're more of a threat to actually people with genuine left-wing ideas that actually argue for democratic processes mm. and for this idea that you can have struggle is not just putting someone in parliament, mm. that building workplace power is actually uh, a key fundamental way to, yeah. to, to build, bring about yeah. change. So um, I can't stand them because of those reasons. But at the same time, I think leftists who go and call someone a trod uh, and using the examples of those very, you know, I think not very um, healthy people, um, are really not doing anyone a favour. Mm. Uh, they're not doing the movement a favour at all. Call out bad behaviour for what it is. Mm. Not, not don't go, you know, drag up some poor guy who's who not only was murdered. They chased him around the world. They murdered him. They murdered most of his entire family. Right, people mm. who weren't even political, just because of the threat of who what he was as in his contribution to trying to bring about a better world for Russia mm. and, and, and Europe at the time. It is, you know, go and learn, read some history. Mm. Leave Trotsky alone, yep. like Brittany, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, All right. so uh, that's really good. This has been very useful for me to get back into zone. All right, we're in the zone now. Okay, so uh, here's the deal. I have been, I've been away for three weeks. I've had absolutely no opportunity to pay any attention to the federal election in Australia. Okay, so I'm like Rip Van Winkle style. I'm coming in, I've just lost three weeks of my life to other stuff. Um, What's been going on? You've got to fill me in on the horrors of the of election season. Well, look, I, I think, Jacob, I think what we need to do is bring you up to speed very quickly. Where, I mean, you obviously have been living under a rock. Mm. So in terms of what you've been missing out, it's been, I would regard, one of the most tedious and frustrating federal election campaigns that... I think I've ex- visit, you know experienced in my life. Yeah. It, it might maybe it's more because I've voting with my feet, so to speak, in terms of how how far engaged I am with my my local um, activism. But it's not just that. Uh, if you're looking at it on a national scale, it's it's really it's driving you nuts. Uh, well, me and I'm sure there I know there are other leftists out there who are very disappointed with um, the way it's going. There's a there's a we're only four sleeps away and. I guess the key thing to say is that, look, hopefully we'll see the end of Morrison and the Morrison-led uh, Liberal National Party government. It may be time, uh, tax time for leftists, but, geez, it's been really infuriating experience. Um, I'll, I'll just a couple of quick points on, like, those mm-hmm. things that are, are infuriating. Uh, only recently we finally had a very clear policy argument that was actually dealing with inequality in Australia. And okay. that was when... The uh, Albanese um, pretty much hinted and said that they would support uh, a wage claim to of um, 5.1% yeah. to um, alleviate the uh, inflation rate that's hitting 5.1%. Mm. Now, the corporate and state media went absolutely ape over this and carried on. But for a lot of us, it was like, yay, finally standing on some principle. Yeah. Mm. That, that was like, that was a standout. That was okay. good. Yep. Um, we know that, the, you know, Labor would does have a better um, climate position than Libs, but it doesn't go far enough. I think it's the, the point is that there's been a number of things happening with the PLP, the Parliamentary Labor Party, that haven't been expiring, where it's been basically doubled, doubling down and uh, trying to ensure that they couldn't be wedged on refugee and asylum seekers. That's been really pathetic uh, mm. in terms of the responses from the PLP. Mm-hmm. Uh, or 
yeah, the climate stuff, like, you know, there has been quite a lot a standout uh, issue going on, which I think like, it's hurting Labor uh, federally, is refusing to actually really actively campaign and talk about um, battling climate change when it's just so obvious it's out there. Yeah. Even the, the right end of town is, is organised against it. And I guess the other part is just the... That's, on one hand, I get it. What Labor is trying to do is to secure government and they're... They've got a strategy of like, look, if we don't say too much, people just hate the coalition so much, we'll get in and trust us, we'll then do something, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it is partly, I mean, this is, you know, I mean, so I, there is a fairness to this point. I don't agree with it fully, is that we've got a hostile uh, fourth estate. Our corporate media is basically majority owned by one, you know, scumbag US citizen who occasionally claims to be a, an, an Australian. Uh, he may have come from here, but he, he's no citizen of, of this country, uh, Rupert Murdoch, and he's in his prodigy. Um, and then we have other, you know, media moguls as well running their own agendas. The, the Kerry Stokes of the world with, um, you know, his bizarre sort of populist, fascist, SAS sort of loving, um, yeah. t- t- you know, TV show, uh, TV channel, Channel 7. Yeah. Uh, we've got, to got do, nine Fairfax, on, you know. Yeah. Yeah, we've got nine Fairfax there, yeah. which has got, you know... Uh, Peter Costello, former, you know, neoconservative treasurer from yep. the Howard government, been there forever, have been running incredibly offline. And and the, the press gallery have been disgraceful mm. uh, this election. Probably, I think it's probably been, I agree with something, that has been the worst in terms of coverage. We've got this phenomenon of gotcha moments and the like mm. uh, going on with this attempts to try to um, force the, the Labor leader, Anthony Albanese, or... Um, uh, the attempt on Adam Bant with the Greens to to stumble over yeah. their, their their details yeah. of of policy as if as if they're walking encyclopedias of of everything that's ever happened. Yeah. That's that's where we're at okay. at the moment. Yeah, it's the a big, it's big green stuff. picture you're painting. Oh, it's, okay, so maybe so we've got three I think headings there. We've yeah, got wages especially, but policy we yeah. talk about state of the PLP, uh, which I think is really interesting, and then yeah, the state of the press. Uh, political press gallery in Australia, which is dismal, and that's the one thing as I've sort of um, dipped in and out over the last few weeks that yeah. has stood out that I've been aware of. So if you follow me on Twitter uh, at Warning on Main, you'll have seen me sort of talking about that a little bit. But um, yeah, so with the wages policy thing, so mm. maybe we can talk. We can talk a little bit just about inflation yeah. and like inflationary pressures and the, this like um, studied ignorance um, amongst commentators, especially and you know pundits, especially about the relationship between, uh, you know, price inflation, wage rises and productivity. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, these these forces in the economy. So um, something that I've seen very frequently is um, in response to this discussion around this, which I think is really good. Sure. Yep. Yep. Um, it's regrettable that the sort of only system we have to secure wage rises in Australia is not the act of withdrawing labor, but um, the ability of governments and um, the civil society area, you know, um, to uh, make sort of these submissions to the Fair Work Commission in its annual um, wage review, Mm. which is the process we have in Australia, if you don't know. Um, And yeah, so basically what you said was Anthony Albanese said at a press conference and then they kind of, they, they did hammer it home and were quite clear that it was a policy that if they were elected government, they would make a submission that the uh, wage rise given by the to the minimum wage by the Fair Work Commission should be 5.1%, which would be uh, commensurate to inflation. So it's actually just to be clear, um, not a real wage rise. It's a uh, uh, 
you know, resistant to resistance to um, falling real wages, right? Yep. Um, so it's nothing actually that radical. Um, and so what I've heard a lot is people saying, well, wages will rise when uh, productivity goes up. So pro- <laughs> we'll pro- just pro- profits can go up and uh, then, you know, wages will necessarily follow. Yep. And um, the thing I'd like to point out that has been pointed out ad nauseum by um, a lot of people like... Um, uh, Greg Jericho at The Guardian is really good on this. Um, Bernard Keane and Crikey as well. Um, and uh, um, Alison Pennington as well. And others. Uh, which is that uh, the evidence actually shows that productivity has been steadily going up um, for 20 years. Okay. And that at some point, wage wage growth decoupled from mm. productivity. Um, I'm not sure what you think, whether that's just that we crossed a threshold in terms of the strength of unions where... Um, or, you know, they just were no longer effective in the private sector at, at sort of bargaining on behalf of labor uh, and using productivity gains as a bargaining chip? Or is it the fact that um, the hiring freeze in the public service and the um, the caps on wage growth in, the, in various areas of the public service are not um, allowing a flow through from public sector wages into the private sector? Um, like what's really going on here? Why are wages suppressed in Australia, um, yep. you know, in broad terms? Well, my take on it is is what we're seeing is peak neoliberalism going on in terms of the the ideological underpinnings behind it, which is uh, crudely put this this idea that the the greater the profitability of corporations and the the greater wealth of the the, the rich minority, the top one percent or, or the like, that somehow through you know everyone working hard um, that there would be some you know it's the the classic trickle down effect or you know mm. getting pissed on effect as it's sometimes jokingly called um, we're at the peak of that one and, and the COVID uh, crisis has definitely borne out that this is really not what's happening and there, there are some comments out as I saw like what's his name um, Peter is it West uh, the West report Michael guy. West Michael yeah. West too. he writes occasionally writes some interesting though. Yeah. but he may, I think you made a fair point saying that what we're seeing is you know very much crony capitalism at work at the moment and that's happening in a lot of neoliberal countries where they've gotten to this point there was an ideology that the harder you worked and liberalising your labour markets and the, the, the productivity and the profits being made well then you know um, you'd get a a a dividend. Mm. Well, it hasn't happened. And, and, if, and if anything, the big end of town has just gotten greedier and greedier and refused to actually, you know, um, come up with the social compact that they were advocating for. Yep. I think that's the background for, for where this has come from. And I think there's, I think now, now that this has gone on for so long, uh, we've had different iterations of it in the last well, 50 years now, uh, and it's really accelerated, particularly in the last 20 uh, because of, as you said, the, the weakness of the labour movement mm. um, due to anti-union laws, as well as due to the reaction of union bureaucracy to actually, you know, so show some backbone mm. and to actually, you know, build power in the workplace and fight uh, in the workplace and the communities, is we're seeing the the big end of town has been getting away with it and will continue to get away with it. We're now in a situation where the labour bureaucracy has made working people's self-organisation desperate for... Um, changes to laws and changes to workplace laws for any attempt to actually you know try to leverage things so that's that's i think the background there that they've been able to get away with these things it Um, basically comes down to a shift in bargaining power or leverage between labor and capital right yeah so that's going on there and look it's it's wage let's just call it what is it it's wage um uh all 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 the all the labor party and you know the unions Mm. union bosses yeah 
Um, and I'm calling them bosses because yeah. they're elected okay. and they run organisations. Sometimes okay? they're elected. Sometimes they are elected. Sometimes <laughs> their elections are so... Sometimes they're appointed. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think particularly big hello to all those union bosses out there who are elected on, mm. with 15% turnout of their membership. Mm. Uh, and quite, you know, shamefaced in mm. terms of, you know, thinking that they're somehow okay and that they're you know, leaders of the of the workers. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what I would say, uh, just maybe put a bow on this wages question is, yeah, yeah. Um, it's great that um, the Labour Party's talking about it. Um, I think it's really good that it, within the two weeks up to a federal election that there's a conversation about wages. That's a good thing. Um, but it's a shame that it's being contained within um, this paradigm of the Fair Work um, Wage Review. Um, there's so much more to say about wages Um, and what really needs to be done uh, is for the restrictions on the right to strike and also um, the restrictions that the Fair Work Act places on, you know, um, when and how and why uh, you're allowed to withdraw your labour. That all needs to be like fundamentally reformed, scrapped and and rewritten, I would say. So um, that's how wages will go up. Um, It's actually creating a level playing field between um, the, the, the opposing sides of labor and capital. And I think what is really essential too is for the labor, the PLP to abandon um, the, the rhetoric of, you know, entirely, not just abandon, but repudiate actively the rhetoric of rhetoric of um, the individual worker as a um, negotiator, as an act, you know, sort of participant in negotiations and um, as uh, equal, um, you know, contractor against yep. the force of the historical and social force of capital, yeah, yeah. which is an absurd, like, um, you know, a historical well, and um, unrealistic formulation, right? Um, we have to, our system needs to consciously and explicitly frame um, wages and uh, wage rises in, the, in terms of the, the forces of labor and capital, not in terms of individuals seeking pay rises through bargaining agreements and contracts. So yeah, yeah. big big hello there to Julia Gillard and the Fair Work Act. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that that definitely needs to be fundamental change there, and and that's not what's being offered. Uh, mm. You know, in terms of what Labor has said, they're basically going. When we've talked it in a previous show, it's like, yeah, we'll sit down with the union leaders and we'll sit down with big business and you know we'll talk about productivity. Well, you know, <laughs> mm. the productivity thing is a joke, and yeah. I think we've got to we've got to ditch it. We've mm. actually really fundamentally just got to reject it. Yeah. And what we need to talk about is equality and mm. equity. For me, means just you know, it's the equity is all about having the opportunity to um, to access you know different things, but mm. equality is the the key bit that. Um, uh, working people need to have uh, the ability to be able to democratically express themselves in the workplace and and take um, democratic action. And I think that you don't need any more democratic than actually withdrawing mm. your labour. Mm. So yeah, fundamentally, that's not one in the card. And that's something that I think socialists have got to in labour and outside of labour. We've got to fight on yep. and keep talking about is um, uh, get out of the straitjacket of that. You know, we just have to wait for someone to do it. You know, give us yeah. permission to yeah. take take action. Yeah. Um, I guess what the other bit the the media stuff, I don't know. How, how have well, you Well, I was going to say before we move on to that, maybe we could talk about another policy thing. Okay. Um, so uh, the housing thing. The other, the oh, other yeah, thing yeah. that I've really been aware of is um, yeah. since kind of coming out of my um, cave yesterday, yeah. like the day before we recorded is the day that I, you know, started paying attention again. I'm so glad you watched that, Man Like It's Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I have not, I've, I've saved myself the pain of the um, debates and things. Or, yeah. I haven't seen any of that. But what I did see was, yeah, this housing policy is... Um, announced by the coalition and by the Labour Party. Um, I'm more up on the coalition's one. Um, I've been able to find some info on. So basically this idea 
um, this sort of dual movement, these two policies. Um, firstly, they're going to allow um, first home buyers to pull a bunch of money out of their superannuation funds um, and use that to um, you know put towards a deposit on a house. Um, and then secondly, they're allowing um, uh, you know empty nesters to uh, basically they're expanding the criteria mm-hmm. to allow people who downsize or sell their sell their homes yeah. um, to then um, shift the capital gains straight into their own superannuation funds. Okay, so taken together, this amounts to a, a pretty direct policy to transfer wealth out of the superannuation funds of of young people and into the super, superannuation funds of um, retirees. Is that fair to say? Yep. Yeah. Bang, banks, yeah. you know, prices. And the, actual, will, yeah. the actual effect of it is that house prices will go up yeah. because that's what always happens when you increase uh, the ability to pay more for a house, of course. It, it, yeah. It's just a... Uh, um, it's further heating up demand. Yeah, and as it is, we've got that rather perverse, uh, like a lot of countries that have been decimated by neoliberal uh, economics mm. and, and, and the way in which neoliberalism has been played out on a, how we organise around shelter yeah. means that we've privatised the concept of shelter yeah. uh, in such a way that it's we've now turned how we get shelter and owning shelter as basically a... a it's a mechanism for defending whether what sort of type mm. of retirement you're going to have, mm. and and like you said, look, we've got intergenerational theft being carried out due to the settings that are there in terms of how property is managed, and and also we've got the other part is the banks, the banks and bank regulation, um, what regulations were put on the uh, banking system during the GFC. They were basically given a get out of jail card from the uh, the, the mm. government at the time, not the government at the time. Um, they are a sacred cow, and not just sacred cow. They're highly unregulated, and we're we're seeing um, some pretty interesting uh, iterations mm. of how that that plays out. It's in, I guess, what you've got the banks, you've got the you know the so-called you know developers out there, uh, coupled with um, tax settings mm. that benefit those who already have property. And look, other people have talked about this. These things all need. The only way we can change that is we need a, a government that actually has the ticker to stand down these settings and, and carry out some real reforms over taxation mm-hmm. as well as uh, reforms in the finance sector as well as um, you know I think fundamentally build more houses yeah. uh, on, a, on a mass scale mm. and make uh, the concept of shelter one of human need as opposed yep. to how do we make profit how do we oh we you know how do we make this as an investment mm. you know like we've got to ditch the language of it and talk mm. about shelter um, that's that's my take on it but that's, I think that's really, a really really good segue to talk about the plp then yeah um so the small target strategy and everything um look i think we yep. we're in total agreement and i think most of our listeners would agree that um regardless of your objections to the the election strategy of the labor party uh, there has to be a change of government and yep. that whether that takes the form of a um, Labor majority or a um, minority with the Greens or um, whatever, you know, look, let's for um, events to decide. But uh, I'm fairly agnostic, um, basically. And part of my my sense feeling of um, agnosticism is coming from this. Um, yeah. This complete lack of a menu of, you know, yeah. of a real meaningful election reforms. But yeah. Oh, promises. But on the other hand, I, yeah, like, you know, I understand. I understand mm. that the media environment today, which we can, which we will talk about, um, either we can either talk about it at the same time or we can come to it in a second, is hostile um, and that um, an opposition party is effectively punished for, for laying down meaningful um, policies. Um, and I understand that the, you know, 
also during the COVID period, the parties, um, its conference process has been quite restricted and there isn't really a sense, I don't think at the moment, um, amongst party members more broadly, maybe that, that there's like a clear direction for the, for the party in terms of like what it would do with the power of yeah, government. Yeah. That's partly, yeah, because we it's haven't actually had enough. Sh- she'll be right, mate. Yeah, we like, haven't really had yeah. enough of a chance to yeah. to like get together and have a big, a big conversation and set down priorities at the federal level, yeah. at the you know national party level. So, um, yeah, there are reasons for it, right? Mm. But um, like, like as you said, like does the does the party have the ticker? Is it more something that has to be sort of um, unrolled over a few terms of government, like where the party is kind of using incumbency to build up a mandate over time, or you know, like I think, or we, is it like are we actually just looking at kind of like the left wing of the bourgeoisie, um, you know, managing capitalism for a turn, having a turn, and then we're going to just go back to everything sort of in yeah. a downward spiral? It's a pessim- pessimistic view. Yeah, for, look, thankfully, Australia, while we do have a hybrid uh, uh, government in terms of the UK and. US uh, influence on our constitution. We haven't gone full US yet uh, in terms of how things play out. We have compulsory voting. We also have preferential voting system that allows different voices to actually you know, have a go, uh, even though the, the electoral process is quite flawed, particularly for the, the upper house. We've got other shows, more recent shows you can um, listen to it about you know, ACT representation being gerrymandered and the like. Um, I think in terms of like, um, I think we're just going to have to trust that the Albanese government is looking good to win, and I'd like to mm-hmm. see that. That'd be a good yeah, thing. Agreed. But in terms of like right now, I think these shows, I've been enjoying doing these shows and conversations, interventions. We need to be thinking about like, don't just wait for the government to change. Mm. Um, there's two things that'll happen. Like, if the government change and, and there's an, an Albanese led government, um, we need to be part of uh, organising in the party. Uh, to argue for a more progressive and or more transformative agenda from our uh, our federal government, because we didn't get that, mm. and the, the COVID process for that that platform was pathetic. Like it was all via email. There was a handpicked committee that you know looked you know created the drafts and all the rest of it. It it reads like basically. I mean, you read the industrial section of it. It reads like a bunch of union bosses sat in a room and just mm. you know cherry picked a couple of like key minimalist thing they could agree on there's no it was bugger all actually yeah, don't even get me started on the way that yeah. um, unemployment and welfare policy was, oh was it's decided. just appalling the, the mm. platform is a, is really not mm. not good enough but at the end uh, of the day the um, federal stuck. caucus is not doesn't view itself as beholden to the platform yeah it's not, yeah, it's not essentially it's not that yeah. relevant I guess yeah so um, the way yeah, yeah. So the way they put the pressure on those guys is is by applying the pressure in state in state branches, right, right. and via the state branches applying pressure to those elect, elected representatives. So um, we need to be in the position of, uh, say, in the ACT, for, for example, coming up with a clear agenda for what we want to see happen, fighting for that policy in the ACT branch, but also in particular applying pressure on our elected representatives in the lower house to actually deliver what we what mm. we would like to see. So that's um you know our local members there. And to, that's part of that. But there's also the other part of trying to win that ideas fight in the parties outside as well. And that means, you know, activism outside of the party. It means on the streets. But also, like, I mean, we need to see people exercising power in the workplace and use those opportunities that we hope will, will happen if the Labor government gets in to say, well, sorry, but, you know, accord, uh, a photocopy of a photocopy of the accord is not going to be good enough to yep. actually fix the problems. I think we need to be out there campaigning for that. Mm. The, other op- the other thing that's going to be really disturbing, if Labor loses... You watch, there will be commentators out there in the right that will accept their commentator position, which will be, 
oh, well, the moment Albanese turned around and said he accepted and supported the 5.1%, you know, wage maintenance rise mm-hmm. <laughs> was when he lost it because it was too radical. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. That, that, that will be yeah. like, that is the concern we have. Yeah. Should And people should have that in the mind. If, if we don't have a, like, a, at the moment, in terms of balance mm-hmm. of forces, it would be a disaster for yeah. the working class in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people are kidding themselves if you don't think it matters, uh, you know, who gets yeah. in. It's, there is this really, um, I think, um, yellow bellied and disturbing um, view that I have seen occasionally coming out on the sort of Australian leftoid Twitter sphere uh, that is like, well, the Labor Party haven't had the guts or the um, integrity to run meaningfully on a platform of change. Therefore, um, I don't um, I don't trust that they if they win that they will institute any meaningful change. And that means that it's actually a better outcome for them to lose for the coalition to win in order to um, trigger some, you know, soul searching and a reform process within yeah. the Labour Party. I couldn't disagree with this more. It comes from um, this um, sort of, oh, uh, cynical, uh, this cynical view that says, oh, change from, the, the change the party from the within thing never works and it's totally pointless and whatever. And while I'm not uh, saying um, change the party from within, um, what I am saying is, which we repeat all the time on this show, is that the class stri- the, the lines of the class struggle run through the Labour Party. And that's the case whether you like it or not. Yep. And so you can't just, you can't turn away from it, that fact um, that the, there is um, a contest um, for ideological hegemony over the institutions of the working class that were built throughout the 20th century that is occurring inside the Labour Party. Um, and it, and it, it goes on. Yep. It, it's, it's, it's always occurring inside the Labour Party, right? Um, and so to turn your back on that and ignore it is, I think, to... Um, shirk your responsibility as some, if you're somebody that professes a kind of um, a desire for, you know, um, revolutionary transformation of our country or yeah. our society or the world. So yeah, um, it's, it's very, yeah. it's unserious. It's really, yeah. really an unserious and immature mm. uh, view of how politics is run, yeah. um, particularly like in terms of taking state power. Yeah. Uh, there needs to be a party that's going to take state power. Um, yeah. And I, look, I, I that's part of the infuriating thing. Sure. I mean, I, I get it as an, 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 a reaction of people who are, you know, well, I think quite legitimately um, put off. And like we talked about in a previous show with, with Amy and Dad, there is around 30% of voters out there, again, who aren't going to put Labor or Liberal number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be going for independence and minor parties. Mm-hmm. And I think this is probably a segue for what we talked about mm-hmm. um, with, with Amy because it does also kick into the local example here. We've, we've got um, what is normally a, a very dull Senate election race in the ACT. The, the lower house is a bit of, you know, boring. Oh, look, if you if you could be mad, like, you know, putting down 100 bucks on the seat of Fenner, for example, you'll come back with, I don't know, it's like it's running at um, $1.01, and you know, type okay. thing. Right. So, right. so that's, right. that's how safe those yeah. seats are. It's yeah, a waste, okay. waste of time. But um, in the Senate, the Senate yeah. race is looking interesting. Yeah. And we're, partly it's a structural reason as to why it's normally so crap, mm. the fact that ACT only gets two senators, uh, despite being not far off the size of Tasmania, who gets 12, yeah. right? So we need reform there. Yeah. That's something we should be fighting for. Um, but the other part of it is the interesting David Pocock, for, former uh, Wallaby, mm. uh, uh, former um, uh, high-profile captain for the, the, the local franchise, the Brumbies, mm. in, the, in the rugby thing. I love love the rugby myself. Sure. Kind of, but, yeah. but I think what's been interesting is it's gone, the election campaign, and you, you've missed this, at the start of the election, there was a there was a vibe that 
oh yeah, Pocock might get some votes, mm. but he might just take some liberal votes and he won't. And some he, he's not a threat. Maybe, maybe some green, yeah. amazing, you know. So it's going to be between the Greens and yep. the Greens and Pocock, and you know, take some, you know, and that, mm-hmm. that'll be okay. To a oh my god, oh my god. Yeah. Katie's in danger. <laughs> right. And Katie Gallagher, who's our current Labor senator. Yeah. We, we get two seats in the ACT. Yeah. So that's that's been fascinating to, to watch, and which has caused some, you know, there's some interesting debates out there and all the rest of it. Yeah. I'm so a, what's the logic behind that? Is, it, is there, are, you, are you convinced by that? I mean, so I am kind of surprised by it. I think that I, I was sort of thinking, okay, you might, maybe you will get a similar percentage of Liberal and Labor like voters putting David Cock. Pocock one and then their ordinary preference number mm. two which would probably mean that it'll shake out to be about what it usually like the the, the standard result the status mm. quo yeah um and then what i had seen this was a couple of weeks ago this is an, an analysis before i stuck my head in the sand was that um the only way for david Pocock to really make a dent is if he gets more fresh first preferences than the, the greens so is that now looking like a um a reasonable uh, outcome like possibility or um, yeah. yeah and what's and what is it about David Pocock I mean I I think he's done pretty well uh, at first I was really unimpressed by his sort of um, his rhetoric it was sort of like a liberal anti-politics thing where it was like mm. um, hyper local and um, very like centered on um, this whole, this rhetoric around, oh, the major parties, they just play politics or they don't deliver for, for like my constituents or, and there's not much big picture stuff going on, even though he was um, pr- sort of pitching himself at the same time as a climate yeah. candidate. And he's got absolutely unimpeachable, um, you know, credentials as a climate activist, yep. for sure. Um, so like, yeah, I mean, I suppose uh, I'm surprised to hear, to hear that there's some um, anxiety about Katie's seat. Um, if like if I was to you know influence our listeners at all, I would tell them to put Katie first, and then yeah, put Pocock uh, number two. Yeah, sure, if you like, Fine. if that's your yeah, that's your um, at the very least, um, you know, put Katie second if you absolutely must vote one David Pocock. But I suppose the other thing to consider is that first preferences in our electoral system also translate to future election funding. So if you actually don't think that David Pocock's likely to try again, and I'd, I'd say he might not be that likely to try again, um, don't. Don't send your first preference there because it's it's money that's going to you know mm. just go to a campaign that won't happen in the future. Yeah. Whereas um, like that money could be put to great use um, re-electing Katie Gallagher again in the future, and she's been a great senator for the ACT. Absolutely, she's like an absolute gun in Senate estimates. If you ever watch like the stuff she does there, like um, you know I got heaps of time for Katie Gallagher. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, or uh, other you know future. Uh, potentially progressive um, yeah. you know, Labor candidates so, in the ACT. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say that that probably go into my thinking if I was a strategic voter who was thinking about voting, um, you know, independent in the ACT. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that the, the Greens um, candidate has not been able to, to cut through at all mm. uh, locally. Um, they were looking at it in a pretty good position. I, I think it's been noticeable. My take on it is that they are actually sense of... Um, pivoted more to what we thought they weren't going to do, which was actually to put more resources into the seat of Canberra, which is currently yeah. held by Alicia Payne. Yeah. And so they've there's got a, quite a Tim Hollow, high-profile local candidate. Yeah, local candidate. So you know he's he's going to give to make some inroads into the mm. vote there. That'll be interesting. Uh, the candidate that they they picked for the Senate, I don't think did not just didn't have the profile. Mm. Like superficially, I think prior to the election, I think they would have gone. 
oh, you know, we've got a, you know, an, an academic and mm. a professional public servant, and mm-hmm. she's a woman, and she's, you know, she's indigenous, indigenous background. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, she's ticking a lot of boxes yeah. for for the, you know, progressive sort of liberal community of, of yeah. the ACT. Um, she'll do a, you know, she'll be she'll yeah. be fine. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> for for that sort of viewpoint. Mm. Um, what you've got is Pocock's come in. He's got a very big profile mm. in the ACT, uh, as well as a bit of a national profile, and that's uh, really blown that out of the water. Mm. I think what was interesting is that people really underestimated what that what that profile, how that would mean. Mm. I know anecdotally, there's literally they've had hundreds of volunteers, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, meeting down at the at the Polish you mm. know club, for example, and right. doing you know they've had lots of actors out doing like. Good for them. That's mm. great. It, it, I find it's a couple of things. There's a synergy going on between, on the one hand, people feeling let down by the current representation model that we have in the ACT of only having two senators mm-hmm. uh, and feeling a bit let down by both the Labor and the Liberal um, mm. representatives. Mm. And that's you know probably a, you know, fair enough if yeah. that's your angle. Um, that's one of the things driving it. Uh, as well as then there's, because it's so populist in a way, there's a myriad of things there. Like he's got the stuff about, you know, the standard, you know, um, people's standard of living and he's got the climate stuff, which is a big thing in this town. Um, and then he's also got stuff about being, you know, pro-business and all that. It's a bit of everything. And yeah. that's, look, that's, I don't know, it's interesting. That will be interesting. That that's the one to watch people would be, mm. you know, for the first time in a long time, I've actually got a race going yeah. on. And then I'd also, I, I'd also argue that I think Labor people should just calm the hell down and do what you normally do, mm. which is just to, you know, campaign on the basis of why you think your candidate is the better candidate. Well, it's typical, isn't it? That yeah. all, of the, all of the energy is going into, um, like, defensive reflex. Yeah. Right? And, like, where, yeah, where's the energy here, like, for this? Yeah. And, uh, and it's also campaigning, yeah. right? Like, I mean, the one of the arguments a lot for a long time in the ACT branch that was going on is, and it kind of has been accepted as now... What you just do is this idea of permanent campaigning, mm. which was one of the things that um, Hello Matt, our man in Brussels, yes. uh, you know, former um, state um, branch secretary uh, Matt Byrne was uh, one of his things, which was always about um, we need in the ACT sphere, the ACT assembly, you need uh, representatives need to campaign all mm. the time, and mm. then the campaigning meaning like talking about things that people want to get changed, as well as. Um, basically letting people know like oh we've done this yeah to actually changing yeah things. like yeah. oh we're changing yeah. stuff and oh what what do you want to what mm. do you want to see changed yeah. okay cool actually being proactive and doing that yeah that is something that has not um i don't mean to be mean but it's just true um that's yeah. not necessarily something our federal representatives in labor have done right as so much you know fits and spurts and whatever, oh, in, in, they, they do it as, when they do it it's in really broad strokes yeah um yeah and that's obviously comes back to that the reality of um, being in opposition, running yeah. a small target election campaign, yeah. and, and whatever. So, so I guess trying yeah. to find ways to get more of a you know boots on the ground, so to speak, uh, outside of yeah. an election period for our federal reps would yeah. probably be an interesting yeah. thing. But I mean, I, look, I think it's just all broadly good for um, democracy mm. and, and politics to have a bit more of a debate about mm. well, how good. Also, particularly, I think the um, the argument um, there's some you know I. Uh, there's been some decent candidates mm. running for it, and that's good. But isn't there also a discussion that needs to happen in the party? Yeah. Partly it's representation structure, and then it's also an argument inside the Labor Party about um, how we're we going to actually have um, really good, diverse candidates. You know, yeah. we need, you know, let's let's do that. And yeah. Be serious about it, so we don't get this sort of this narrowness that we currently have. Only the ACT is just, I think it's a microcosm of a, a bigger problem that's right. going on. 
But yeah. um, that's that with that. The other bit, the the, the media. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and this this is yeah. really relevant because it's uh, it it comes to like um, how the um, how the parliamentary Labor Party makes choices based on how it knows that they'll be mediated back to the public through the press. So yeah. Like how does how does the behaviour of the press affect the way that you know Labor Party. Um, campaigns and and what have I missed? What have been what, like? What's the press been up to? Oh, it's, it's <laughs> been been more appalling than than normally. You normally expect the prior to the. I know earlier in the year we talked about all all the um, sections of the Murdoch press and the nine yeah. Fairfax actually running, you know, almost like attack campaign pieces against and campaign yeah. Yeah, against no against the libs. Oh, okay. Early right, in the year, right, we were right. like, oh, you know, there was kind of like there was this. What we were seeing was maybe a bit of a split, and I think there has been a or, split. Or were they just banking, in, in banking a bit of class. public goodwill? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know. But but it's interesting yeah. since the actual proper election yeah. campaign, not nah, lockstep. Yeah. They're like, yeah. I think there's been a, a kind of like, okay, Albo, yeah, we'll let you write a couple of things in the Fin Review, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, okay, that'll just calm us down a little bit. It won't be the end of the world if we have a Labor government. But sorry, we're going to back our guys, yeah. you know. Uh, tried and true, um, you know. we What what is it? Like, like Mussolini, you know. Like, yeah. Have, they take, what is it? You know, you want... The, oh, the devil take, you know, not the devil. Yeah, take, you yeah, know, sure. you don't want the original. You want you, you want the, the original, not the photocopy stuff. Oh, okay, right, a, right. You know, I, who am I quoting there? Anyway, some fascist, okay. but let's forget that. Mm. Um, I think... Yeah, so it's been bad, and, yeah. and and as you know, a lot of people talk about and rave on about it. Like what we've seen is uh, the Murdoch and Nine Fairfax media and that press pack there set the questioning line, the editorial line, and then the ABC then just yeah. parrots okay. it, right. and it's then the way in which the press pack has been behaving. And there was, I think, it was Karen Middleton talking about the fact that recently, a little while ago, they started filming the journalists asking the questions. Yes, yes, I saw and this with that's... um, yeah, there was. So what, this was not the initial like um, kind of so there was Albanese's like early on in the campaign he stumble about um was it the the cash oh, rate or not, no, um, the, you know the unemployment rate or something unemployment rate and so the cash rate that, was like yeah, really and then you know that that sets off this like um domino effect where yeah. all the journalists are doing it but yeah and then you notice I, I I did see this one where um someone was like trying to get him to just recite one of Labor's policies that, yeah. that some other minister or some other shadow minister, sorry, had announced the day before or whatever. And um, yeah, in the news report, there's a camera angle on this guy, on this, this journalist, yeah. um, sort of berating um, the subject of the press conference. So yeah. that's a really interesting new development yeah. that so we're kind of making the news. It's a very Peter Van Onselen style of, of, mm. of journalism, you know, where I'm making the story and yep. I'm therefore, you know, yep. I'm sort of on camera. But um you know, I think that, yeah, okay, the yellow press is one thing. The yellow press is biased. It's always been biased, and it's especially bad at the moment. I yep. think um, the Nyan Fairfax thing is the thing that's really tipped it over yep. um, to make it more noticeable this time. But uh, I guess the other factor at play, in my view, a little bit on a longer time scale, is that what we're seeing is the fruits of um, a whole sort of generation and a half or two generations in the press of um, the integration of the Canberra Press Gallery into the social circle of Parliament, okay? And the, the sort of close buddy-buddy um, relationship that, that grows up between um, these two halves of the, the ruling media class, if you like, the politicians mm. and the press. And, uh, you know, things like, what do they call it? The winter ball or whatever it's called, where they all dress up and... Yeah, they have a winter ball. And 
kiss each other or whatever. And, yeah. um, you know, there's that. And so that's like the social side. And then in terms of the professional side, you've got the rise of, of access journalism and yep. um, the the way that the, especially the, the coalition, the way that they, um, you know, interact with the press is by, and we saw this with the housing policy that we talked about um, earlier in the show, yep. is that they drop things to favor journalists. And yep. so people get scoops and, and that drives... Um, closer and closer this, this these personal yes. relationships between um compliant journalists um who um essentially just um are stenographers mm. people in power and um very manipulative and um successfully so um uh, ministers and uh also you know higher ups in government departments yep. appointees and that kind of thing and then so the, re- the result of that is that you have a press that come to a press a, a press conference um, and they understand their job as basically being quizzing the subject of the press conference on their own policies. And so the logic, as far as this is concerned, is they uh, are you know, a failure if they can't recite a policy, and they're a success if they can recite a policy from memory. So yep. it's not clear to me how this is in any way um, like relevant or important, um, whether, someone can, whether Anthony Albanese can recite an economic statistic or... Um, one of his policies from memory, um, you know, on day one of government, he sits down at his big prime minister desk. And so here's the scenario, right? Yeah. yeah. Scenario A, he knows the policy from memory and he gets to work on it. Yep. Scenario B, he opens up his laptop and he checks what it says and then he gets to work on it. Um, yep. Are these meaningful differences at all? I wouldn't say so. No, not, not at all. And, and, and as, and look, as anyone who's got a vague inkling about how parliamentary democracy works in Australia is you have a government that's formed, you have a bunch of ministers there and they're there, they're meant to go and carry out uh, what their party has agreed on as their, their platform, yeah. their policy. And so they then, you know, try to pass legislation. Yeah. And like, it so what that means externally like, to these people's minds, it's a, it's necessarily a, so. It's a team, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a, you know, it involves, Quite a lot of people. Yeah. Um, this this idea that that one person is going to be the you know, yeah. <laughs> know everything. Yeah. Is I mean, rid- do you think Scott Morrison goes and personally looks up the interest rate every no. day, or do you think like he's well, got someone who gets paid to come and tell yeah. him what it is? Well, isn't it that the, the big half the joke is um, like some oh no, he's really good. Just like I don't care about his memory. Also, the fact yeah. is like he's not actually being asked. Yeah. Um, the the journos already know what Morrison's gonna what they've already been dropped the story they already know what he's gonna talk about and they're not gonna go <laughs> and um, they're not coming from a standpoint of, of having a belligerent position which mm-hmm. is you know um, they just it's all given stuff yeah um, you know for whether, the way that's been because you can out. be well, because of the the way that the relationships work yeah. and the way it's been set up in favor of people yeah. in power they the, the journalists know that if you're oppositional yeah. and if you're Really dogged, yeah. and if you ask uh, uncomfortable yeah. questions, then yeah, you can actually be punished personally and professionally yeah, for yeah, it, yeah. right? It was also, I mean, the other disruption, I think, for the the corporate and state media, the the legacy corporate state uh, state media, has also been the fact that they are legacy. the 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 fact that there are big problems in terms of the the hybrid model is not working very well. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of like really big um, pressures on making sharing information uh you know a business mm. uh which 
again is another part of like why it's important for those journos to get those drops yeah. and get that information from the powers that be and not try to work too hard because they're already having a hard enough time just trying to get the copy in there and trying to get something that people are going to subscribe or mm-hmm. or pay for or, or the like and that's that's another part i think of the you know why we're seeing a very um I don't know, captive um, yeah. and not independent media going on. Um, but in terms of the just look, I guess one of the the positive things though mm-hmm. is that the reaction has been pretty palpable out there. Right. But we also know that like even even people outside of the, you know, the those that are the politics nerds and and the like, we we know that people increasingly every time they actually sit down and do these sociological studies about whether or not people believe what they're told. Overwhelmingly, people don't believe. What don't what the media, they don't trust what the media says. Yeah. And, you know, um, I love it. Like, on the one hand, uh, you'll get journalists who, you know, um, despair at, you know, X and Y. But on the other hand, it's like, well, isn't it the fact that you guys haven't kicked up a stink and a fight for the, in the organisations that you yeah. are employed by? Like, you know, mm. you, you run stuff that's had, for one agenda. Did you see not, Phil Curry, you know? Did you see Phil Curry saying um, that... Albanese's 5.1% wage rise suggestion was a, I believe the quote was, a one-way ticket to the Weimar Republic. Yeah, yeah, no, it's absolutely appalling. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just, that's just absolutely... Unbelievable. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there was a great clip. I think it was um, Eleanor Robertson on Twitter um, found this clip and, and reposted it. It was like a clip of Phil Curry on Insiders Once being asked the, the very simple question, um, like, where do wage, wage rises come from? What causes yeah. them? And he literally could, couldn't answer. He, he didn't know. I mean, mm. or he, or I think as Eleanor Robertson was saying, either he he, he was faced with this choice. He could either um, admit that mm. wage rises come from worker power. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm basically just paraphrasing Eleanor yeah, Robertson. Yeah. Um, or um, refuse to admit that and just um, accept looking like a complete idiot. And he, he weighed up that choice. And yeah. he decided instead to just go, oh, oh, I don't know where they come from. Uh, I work for the Australian Financial Review and I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. like, he preferred to look yeah, like yeah. a fucking moron. Yeah, and to yeah. admit the truth, you know, yeah. about um, the the relationship in bargaining. Nah, look, and it, I think it's a key reminder of what if you're frustrated and infuriated by, uh, not well, they're not they're not fair actors, are they? No. They're not they're you know, yeah. they're not genuine. No. Um, play, they're not yeah. being genuine. No. They're not. I'm just trying to think of the term, good faith. Good faith, yeah, yeah. They're so, not, what about this? Like, do you think um, it was like a good sort of display of kind of discipl- media discipline and? Um, like wiliness from Albanese not to do what I might have done, which is throw your hands up and, and just start being like, the press is running against me, you know, yeah. like I'm a victim of the press, like kind of like Donald Trump did that in 2016 and it yeah, yeah, worked yeah, reasonably yeah. well for him. Yeah. And then he also showed that you, you can just stop doing press conferences and it won't yeah. really erode your support with the electorate. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, was that like, you know, still smart of Albanese to try, he copped it on the chin, I'd say generally. He did fire back a little bit a couple of times. Yeah, but yeah. Um, he hasn't then sort of you know portrayed himself as a victim of the yellow press, which I'd say it would be a reasonable thing yeah. to do. But would that be you know, strategically I know. unwise? I, I, I think they're probably going with this idea that there, there's an idea that um, Albanese in labour circles is quite likable, and the more the press go rabid uh, at him, um, there's I think the I think the the advisors and the you know people not that we know uh, would be saying. Take it on the chin. Yeah. Take it on the chin. Just make sure they, they're good. gonna. It's gonna yeah. make you look good because these people are being mean to you. Um, yeah. Type stuff. Maybe yeah. that's, maybe that's what's going on. I, 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 I think it's terrible to be put in that sort of position. I think it's crap. Mm. I think it's really appalling mm. that um, uh, leader of a, a you know, a, a party that's going to form government um, gets treated um, that way. And 
Uh, there definitely needs to be reform, press reform. Mm-hmm. And part of that, I think, is, is another thing, reason why people should be involved in Labor or involved in, in any uh, mm-hmm. political... We need to, we need to see um, changes to the media rules and, and the like. We need to break up mm-hmm. um, that, that sort of you know hegemony that's going on. Yeah. And we and need we the party need... to get better at yeah. talking directly to yep. its own members and to the electorate at large. And we need independent media. We right. need more of that. I think we need... Um, one of the reasons why they've got the consolidation has been the disruption of technology, but also what it means concurrently. There's an opportunity there. Like I, I think, for example, like ACT Labor, like we could have turned around and bought the Canberra Times a while back. They've they've had plenty of problems, you sure. know. Like that's something we should do. You know, um, we're going back to literally if we want to actually have community um, media and the like. Well, community's going to have to buy it, you know, because the big big ones they're not looking at. It. They don't think it's profitable. They don't think it's yeah. worth it. It's like. Well, if our angle is like, we don't care if it's... Look, if it makes a surplus and it can pay people, as long as it can pay people and you're getting information, well, that's a service, isn't it? Mm. And all, even better, if you have something that's like, you know, semi, you know, I'm just saying semi, uh, you know, funded by the state or, or whatever, and more the point, democratic in some sort of way, community media is one of those key things. Um, all the better. So, you know, um, I, I, well, you know, that's part of, that's one, one solution. The other part, I guess, is um, you know, I think people can vote with their, go vote with their feet and find other mm. forms of, of yeah. media. I mean, we're, let's be clear, we're, we're not journalists. We are agitators and sure. we're, yeah, we're, we're, act, we're yeah. activists um, uh, of a particular <clears> view. <throat> but um, people should be getting, uh, you know, behind independent media, whether it's us at Dole Capital uh, we've got a Patreon at uh, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash d-o-h-k-a-p-i-t-a-l. That's patreon.com forward slash Dole Capital. Big, big hello there to our regular subscribers yep, and supporters. Thank you so much and for sticking with us. Yeah, there, there are lots of stuff out there. Get behind those is, is mm. one of the things. So I think we should get to the to-do to do bit, um, uh, yeah. which is, and then we'll, we'll wrap right. up. Yeah. And one of those things is, look, subscribe to us. You can subscribe to this show on your favourite app. Mm-hmm. Write us a review or the like. Uh, we're on Twitter. Yeah, we are. Yeah, at, at Doll Capital. Mm-hmm. We're on Facebook. Um, we'd like to do more. And, you know, it's your support and listening there that keeps us going. And then secondly, I think the, um, there are other groups like the, 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 there's Jacobin. The Jacobin Australia is a good, good publication. Um, yeah, some of the stuff I'm finding, a bit, I'm getting a bit tired of the, um, there always seems to be a slant that's a bit more anti-labour than it needs to be. Um, yeah, I think they but, don't accept the one of the fundamental premises of this show, which I've no. already said, which is yeah. the idea that the, the class struggle runs through the party, not around it. Um, yeah. And that you can't get away from that fact it's yeah it's, yeah it's there so um yeah that I, I i don't know if you've come across um declassified uh it's originally uk but they've got an australian wing now they're oh, mostly really? they're mostly yeah, focused right. on um foreign policy yeah, um, right. and stuff but they're cool. really good yeah, yeah and very like small operation yeah, yeah yeah um i you know like i still have my crikey subscription they're, they're pretty good yeah, um, they got some okay stuff. Um, I find it a bit too liberal at times. Just, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, but fine, like, yeah. it can be. But uh, like, I think Bernard Keane is at least still um, a a political journalist with some integrity. Mm. Mm. Um, and they've got Charlie Lewis there, and um, uh, I don't know a bunch of other like yeah. good, good, good people. Um, and I always enjoy reading um, Guy Rundle's um, columns mm. every week. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, and then look, there's Michael West out there. You can find him yep. on YouTube. And he's going, you know, he do, he's done some good stuff. Mm. Uh, look, and even look, friendly Geordies is even though he gives me the shits, um, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I can't. A whole I can't lot of stuff. Oh, look, I'm, it's fair enough. I can stomach it. Friendly but some, some of his stuff I have found oddly enough, it's actually when he's gone into the realm of journalism, it's actually been kind of it's 
quite good. Some of it's mm. quite good. Um, some of his comedy and and uh, and some of his t- oh. takes I just find a little bit too um, too cheer squatty and, and um, simple. But whatever, um, mm. you know. And also, you know, some of his humour I, I don't really appreciate. But look, fine. Like that's sure. they're they're all examples there of piece of information. I think the next bit in terms of what to do is yeah, I think people need to you know join or look join like like we need people. I, Rather than wait for the next election to think, you know, oh, now's our chance to make things change, it doesn't work like that. Mm. You need to join a party now. Best time to join the Labor Party to actually help affect change and get, get a yeah, transformative agenda is to join Labor now. Yep. Uh, yeah, because that first conference yeah. um, after Labor wins government is going to be really impactful. Yeah, um, that, particularly. the agenda. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And if you're an ACT Senate voter, um, you know, number all the boxes and for the love of God, put Zed last. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's, I think that's about pretty it. Pretty much really, isn't it? Really. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Look, so you've been listening to Dole Capital with uh, Ben and Jacob. Yep. Yeah. Uh, vote well this Saturday if you haven't already. And um, we'll, we'll speak to you after the election. Damn. See you later. Yeah, see, cheers.